faithwire.com. Hello and welcome to 4 and 3, a podcast breaking down four of the most important stories of the day and three things you need to know about them all from a Christian perspective. Today's Monday, June 7th, 2021. I'm Dan Andros and coming up on the podcast today, Taking Back the Rainbow. Pride Month sparks a response from ex-LGBT Christians. California County's COVID death toll drops by a stunning 25% after a small policy change. We'll tell you about that change coming up. And uh, Christian band Skillets, their front man, his speech steals the show at the K-Love Fan Awards. And Apple employees uh, protest as the CEO says it's time to begin returning to the office. Apparently still afraid to go back. We'll have those stories and more with Trey Goins Phillips from faithwire.com. Hello, Trey. Hello. So it's, I guess we're doing like a, a pride month thing. Cause almost every, I think all of our stories in the month of, of June, we've had oh, um, yeah. a story about that. But I think the the real issue is just the fact that it's, it's so pushed by our secular culture Everywhere. now that it's, it seems like it's something that, you know, Christians have to at least address in some way, because uh, it's, it's a, a conversation that pretty much everybody these days is going to be forced to have. So it's, you know, it's important to have those conversations and to hopefully give people handles on how to actually navigate the, yeah navigate the issue. Cause it's a tough one. Uh, it is. And um, we will, uh, We'll have the uh, we'll tackle that here in just a minute because there's a few things uh, instead of adding it here I'll add at the end of the story as we go through it because uh, I definitely want to touch on that because I think you're on to something there I mean it's it's certainly in our faces everywhere I mean you can't miss it so yeah. um, it's going to be something Christians have to deal with one way or the other so all right so let's dive right in story uh, number one and uh, that is hundreds gathering in Washington D.C. in that blazing heat we talked about earlier here. Uh, ahead of the podcast uh, to take part in uh, a freedom march, which a lot of people were, um, you know, calling it a rainbow revival. And again, compromised mainly of folks who would describe themselves as former LGBT. Uh, and they shared their testimonies about how Jesus has changed their lives. And uh, this march started in 2018, now an annual event. Last year's freedom march, of course, canceled as a lot of things were due to COVID. Uh, the Christian Post interviewed several participants, including uh, Angel Cologne, who was one of the survivors of the Pulse nightclub uh, shooting in 2016. Uh, and he calls this rainbow revival a sign of God's covenant. He says, we're taking back the rainbow. It's his for us. It's something beautiful, of course, referring to you know, God's promise after flooding the earth that he'd never do it again. Uh, using the sign of the rainbow in the sky. And so he says, we're here and we're loud and we're letting the world know that the rainbow is something beautiful and we shouldn't be ashamed of what it really is. Cologne said he's hearing from uh, an increased number of people who are kind of wanting to leave the LGBT lifestyle to follow Christ. Um, and he says, especially now during Pride Month, we want to say we love you to the LGBT community. He said, we want to tell the gay community that we love them. We don't want to judge you or condemn you and welcome you with open arms and be a reflection of Jesus. We're not the Holy Spirit. We don't want to do anything but just love everyone. So Freedom March co-founder Jeffrey McCall told uh, the Post that uh, he saw an uptick in his just the contact. They were getting emails, calls from people wishing to leave the LGBT lifestyle. Uh, he said it started last summer. They were getting this big uptick. And he said, we're getting more and more emails, more people reaching out wanting to help than we've ever had in the past three years. 
He believes that the church is at the beginning stage of reaching out effectively to LGBT uh, individuals with the transformational power of life in Christ. So uh, what is the left saying on this? Well, the left generally um, talks about this issue. Uh, they believe doing like leaving this behind would be akin to, quote, denying who you are. And the right and Christians would counter that ignoring God's design um, for sex and sexuality is actually the first denial of who you are and and that your identity should be in Christ, not in any other of these defining terms that the world often uses. So why does it matter? Well, as you, you were touching on there, uh, Trey, um, it matters because, you know, we're in the middle of this Pride Month and um, it's everywhere. I, I was just on Disney Plus over the weekend trying to watch something and there was a whole sort of just section just celebrating Pride Month and they've got all these shorts, uh, you know, about coming out and, and just everything else. I mean, it's so it's just, and of course, we see on Twitter and social media, the rainbow, every, every company for an entire month. Um, and, a, and a friend of mine who's a Marine, you know, kind of posted the irony here that, um, you know, Memorial Day, get, we get one day for people who actually sacrifice their entire lives for this country. One day. And um, an entire month for people who are living sexually a certain way. Uh, it just seems seems a little unbalanced there. But um, but uh, again, as we were talking about, it is everywhere. Uh, this This agenda is being pushed and thrust onto society. And so as Christians... Uh, this is one of those areas that we are, you know, in general, you know, speaking by and large, most Christian denominations find themselves at odds at this cultural agenda. And so it's something that's that's making it trickier to handle. And it's also unavoidable. It's just going to have it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. You know, Abigail Schreier in, uh, in her book, uh, talking about the transgender movement, particularly with young girls, mm -hmm. she talked about how because we live in a culture now that's so overly saturated with these conversations about sexuality and particularly about transitioning as, as a teenager and experiencing dysphoria and all that stuff. You know, she said, because we have created this environment where kids are so overexposed to it, that a lot of kids who may not ever have otherwise thought, well, maybe that's my issue. Maybe I have gender dysphoria or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm transgender. She said previously they would have realized, oh, I just have anxiety or I'm dealing with bullying over, you know, people making fun of me for my body and the way that I look, you know, whatever. So she was saying that they might not have otherwise ever thought they were transgender. Uh, but because they're so overexposed to it, it's kind of has become the go-to for a lot of girls. It's like, yeah. oh, well, if I'm feeling all of these things, it must be because I'm transgender. Right. Uh, and I think that's kind of what we're seeing now with all, all kinds of other things within the LGBT lifestyles is people who are experiencing any number of normal human emotions uh, and, and they're searching for identity and they go to Hulu or Disney Plus or Netflix and have all these curated uh, sections that are just for Pride Month, uh, or they go online, like you said, on social media, wherever it is in the, in the world, and they can find identity. Uh, they can find what yeah. they think they've been looking for uh, because they've had all of these normal human emotions like anxiety or depression or loneliness or whatever, uh, and, and they find belonging there. Uh, and I, I'm hoping that, that, that they're right about uh, the church maybe stepping in and finally having this conversation in a really 
you know, full and healthy way, uh, because I think that's really the issue is, and I, we've talked about this before, is people are looking for identity. Uh, and if we can explain what identity in Christ means uh, in a way that connects with the secular world and connects with people who are looking uh, for somewhere to belong, uh, I think there's a real opportunity because that's the core issue is, is people are looking for a place to belong and they're looking for identity. Uh, and the, you know, these sexual movements are not going to provide that. Uh, just like any other movement's not going to provide that. That's really is only found in Christ. Uh, and then we can move forward from there. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well said. So, all right. Story number two. So county officials in uh, Northern California uh, have revised their data gathering methodology, causing a 25% drop in the previously reported COVID death toll. So on Friday, the COVID death toll in Alameda County, uh, which includes Oakland, California, decreased from 1,634 to 1,223. Uh, now the count only includes those who directly died from the virus. The numbers previously included those who died while being infected with COVID, not necessarily as a result of it. Uh, the Los Angeles Times has added this to its data on Alameda County COVID deaths. Alameda County on Friday reduced its total deaths uh, count of deaths by 411. Uh, the county previously reported deaths of an, um, any person infected with the virus. The updated total includes only deaths in which COVID-19 was a direct or contributing cause, or if COVID-19 could not be ruled out as a cause. Alameda County Public Health Department spokesperson Nitu Balram uh, said that hundreds of people removed died for reasons clearly not caused by COVID. Since the beginning, though, that's not really been a factor. That hasn't been the way that we've looked at this. Uh, in the late spring of last year, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, who was a, a White House advisor on COVID at the time, she told reporters that anyone who died with COVID was being considered as someone who died from COVID. Uh, so Dr. Amesh Adalja, uh, an infectious disease expert with Johns Hopkins, isn't so convinced about the, the change in policy in, in California. Uh, while he expected an adjustment, Adalja said uh, the 25% decrease seems high, noting it's the biggest shift in death count he's seen so far. So what's the left saying? I think many on the left have been largely dismissive of claims that any COVID data has been uh, inflated. And what's the right saying? Well, conservatives have been more skeptical of the numbers from the beginning and have pushed for greater transparency, uh, particularly from government and health officials. Uh, last summer, then CDC director Dr. Redfield uh, said he believes it's likely COVID death tolls in states. Uh, it's likely that to COVID death tolls in states are inflated uh, because hospitals have a financial incentive to code as many deaths as possible uh, for COVID. Uh, so why does it matter? Well, as we come out of the pandemic, I think it's really important that we look back at what we did wrong and how it, the information we received has been manipulated. Uh, we've been so controlled, I think, by fear and emotion, Dan, over the last year uh, that it, we've really learned that it's not a healthy way to live. Yeah. Uh, it's led to all kinds of, of government overreach, and I think it's clouded our ability to see the line between being safe and taking wise uh, precautionary steps, uh, and then completely giving away and signing over our rights. It just, it's, it's bizarre to me that it's still at this point, we have people who don't see that that's a line that we've, yeah. we've clearly not just crossed, but like jumped completely over. Yeah. And I think all of the, 
the censoring of information as well is something that just ends up breeding distrust and and the incentives as well like you know you have these fact checkers and these authoritative voices and the government saying well this is factual and trustworthy and then then they start punishing people who you know question it or um and even if they're wrong right like they're just coming up with theories or whatever if you try to suppress all that stuff and you try to shut it all down and you try to be the minister of information um and then it turns out some things come back wrong you know you're not going to get it no one's going to yeah. get it perfect nobody expects that what we expect is you to just say oh whoops we messed that one up let's here we're fixing it now it's like Cuomo with the you know the lie about sending people to uh, the the elderly to the nursing home deaths and he just he tried to spin that off he tried to cover it up um you know and I, and I think all this does is breed mistrust how are we going to trust yeah. anything that we're hearing from these fact checkers and from the government when now they've got an incentive to just be right because they've they've shut down accounts over this stuff they've called people misinformation etc now they've backed themselves into a corner and they can't easily get out of it and so if something does turn out to be wrong what are they going to do i mean they're not most of them aren't going to just and we as we've seen with with Cuomo and others they're not going to just go oh yeah i was wrong there they won't do that so they spin it and now everything basic facts can be turned into spin so uh we're just really heading in an unhealthy direction yeah, and I am bothered too by the way that our media landscape has 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 shifted over COVID. Is now it's really obvious. It's not that this wasn't the case before, but it just became so obvious that the media really sees themselves as like gatekeepers. Yeah, uh, they think, well, we're not going to give you this information, or we're not going to frame it in a in a super accurate and transparent way because it might lead you to have an opinion that we don't think is a good one, or we yeah. don't think it's a healthy opinion for you to have. So they've kind of made them in their minds the moral decision. Well, we'll withhold this bit of information, or we'll twist this, we'll word it this way, uh, in order to avoid people really seeing. Oh, our government wasn't necessarily transparent or honest with us uh, because they think, well, if they know that, what might their response be? So it's better if we just handle it this way. And that's really not the media's job. Uh, they, they should just be, you know, relaying information to us uh, and giving us all the tools that we need to then make our own, you know, wise decisions. Hopefully, at least that's the goal is that particularly as believers, we should take in as much information as we can uh, and then check it against the, the principles in scripture and make wise decisions for ourselves and our loved ones. But the media isn't even giving a lot of us that opportunity. Nope. Nope. And, uh, you know, again, I, I, I just, I don't see, you know, how that ends well. And I think, you know, I keep saying yeah. the pendulum, I keep waiting for the pendulum to swing back. And so far it hasn't. I mean, I'm kind of hoping it has so a little bit of sanity um, you know, and, and look, err on the side of free speech. Let's have the debate, right? Um, I don't even have, I personally, I don't have less of a, I have less of a problem with it's, it's irritating, but at least just slapping the little info labels on there. Um, but they should do it not just in a sure. one-sided way. They should do it in both. So here's what people are saying. People from this source are saying this people are, I don't mind that if that's what they really feel compelled they have to do. But when you start shutting things down, and when you start, you know, calling things, well, this is misinformation because the Snopes fact checker said so. Well, those guys clearly have a bias, even if they don't think they do. 
Uh, they clearly do. And that's a common trend among all those fact checkers, as we've documented multiple times on this podcast. So, um, so yeah. as, as Christians, look, we keep saying it, go to the source material, even on stuff we publish, you know, we're imperfect as well. We, you know, uh, we see things through, um, you know, the lens of Christ and we're, we're going to make mistakes as well. So always do your best to look at the source material and not just take, you know, whatever the narrative being fed to you is. So I think that's a healthy thing to do no matter what the source. So, yeah. And I think too, don't, uh, don't rely just on social media, you know, go to CBN news or Faithwire or whatever news source you read, go directly to those sources because we saw with like the Hunter Biden story, for example, Twitter, not only didn't, they didn't just slap a warning, they weren't letting anybody share it at all. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and then there's also the issue of algorithms, which we've talked about, Dan, several times is that, you know, your algorithms are going to feed you stuff that reaffirm what you already think. So go directly to sources like CBN News and like Faithwire and, and wherever else and you go get your information. To, and, and go over to the other one. Go to CNN. Go to go to see what everyone yeah. is saying. Right. And then, you know, you can. Yeah, But exactly. you've got to, as you said, I think that's important, Trey. You've got to just put it in the tab. Forget the social media. Don't let them don't let someone else curate the news for you. Um, and you know, put it on your tabs on your, you know, make a, make a round, a list of sources that you want to check out to even if you disagree with them to see what they're saying and then directly go to them. I mean, you can't let them be a gatekeeper of information. And I think people need to eject themselves from that as much as possible. I think you're right there. Yeah. And there was one of the pastors at my the Christian college I went to, uh, he was conservative and he said, people always ask me, why do you spend most of your time reading the New York Times and the Washington Post? And he said, because I already know what we think. <laughs> he said, I already know what I think as a conservative. Yeah. I want to know how the other side thinks so that I can have a, a, a reasoned conversation with them. And then if I, you know, I understand where they're coming from, like, okay, I understand your concerns. Yeah. Now let's have a conversation about it. So definitely try to be as well-rounded as you can and read as, as much information from as many new sources as you can yeah amen to that all right let's uh let's transition over here into uh story number three and uh this is skillet frontman john cooper and he won the award for book impact at the k-love fan award show on friday night and cooper uh said he was inspired to write this book his book awake and alive to truth because he's quote heartbroken at the friends he's had, uh, his uh, that have no have decided that their wife, uh, their kids, that Jesus is no longer the ones for them, that they've left the faith, that they left, you know, their spouse or you know just abandoned their kids, things like that. These broken families. So um, seeing people leave the faith um, and and leave, you know, the godly way of living has disturbed him greatly. To that was the motive behind him uh, writing the book. He also added that there's. A revival in the church, uh, not a revival in uh, the gospel. And so um, he briefly told a story as well of Christian martyrs Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley and the famous quote, play the man, which essentially means to be courageous. So, but I want to play a clip of his speech. But before we do, I want to give you a bit of a background on that story. So you can hear when he says play the man, which is the famous quote from Latimer before you know, he's a Christian being burned at the stake. Um, and so, uh, a quick, some little history here, cause I was brushing up on this. I didn't know much about it myself. So, um, Hugh Latimer was a former Bishop of, uh, Worcester and he was later an in- influential preacher and chaplain in London 
at Edward uh, VI's court. So Nicholas Ridley had been a Bishop of London and an outspoken supporter of the attempt to make Lady Jane Grey Queen instead of Bloody Mary. After Mary won and became Queen, uh, he was arrested for treason. So Latimer was an English Protestant and he advanced the cause of the Reformation in England uh, and and preached vigorously uh, throughout uh, the area. And uh, he was warned eventually that his arrest was imminent, but he stood his ground. And from early in 1554, he and Ridley shared a cell in the Tower of London. Um, And so they were moved down into a prison in Oxford uh, where they were to debate uh, in public with Roman Catholic theologians. So Ridley defended his beliefs with, quote, particular brilliance, and Latimer dismissed his opponents as mass mongers. These heresy trials, which is just... I mean, it's just amazing that this this actually happened. Heresy trials, uh, they began in January of 1555, uh, and John Rogers was burned at the stake. And so, uh, and then Ridley wrote in response to that, he said, and yet again, I bless God and our dear brother and uh, of this time, pro uh, pro martyr, proto-martyr Rogers. So, I mean, man, just the faith of these guys, just astounding. So, um the arch-conservative Stephen Gardner, who is a bishop of Winchester and, and Lord Chancellor, presided over Latimer's, Latimer's trial for hearsay at the end of September when Latimer uh, took the opportunity to li- deliver a, quote, blistering attack on the See of Rome as the enemy and, and persecutor of Christ's true church. And so, um, obviously, knowing the end of the story, that his argument didn't work out well, uh, regardless of what you think of it. So... Uh, but Ridley went to the stake in a in a black gown, just a plain black gown. Uh, but Latimer, uh, who he took this shabby old garment and put it on, and um, when he got to the stake, he took it off to reveal a shroud. Uh, so Ridley kissed the stake, and both men knelt and prayed. Um, they had to endure a 15-minute sermon urging them to repent. Uh, and then they were chained to the stake, and a bag of gunpowder was hung around each man's neck. And it was made of just branches and such and wood. And as the fire took hold, Latimer, he died apparently pretty quickly. Um, but Ridley suffered. The wood was piled up apparently over his head. And so he was repeatedly crying out, Lord, have mercy on me and I cannot burn. Uh, and so these two martyrs, and you think of their faith and um, before they went to the stake, it was at that time uh, when Latimer said, you know, Master Ridley, you know, play the man, Master Ridley. That's the famous quote, basically meaning be courageous. So this is a story that Cooper's referencing in talking about today's uh, Christians and just how there's a lack of courage and he's encouraging them to stand up. Here's what he said. I say that today because I wrote this book because I've been so absolutely heartbroken at the amount of friends that I've had who have decided that their wives are no longer the ones for them, their kids are no longer the ones for them, Jesus is no longer the ones for them. We live in a time of great, unfortunately, revival in the church, not revival of the gospel of Christ, but a revival of ancient heresies that have snuck into the church and we have been ill-equipped to handle it. Somebody say amen, or I'll preach all day up here. If I could say absolutely anything, if I could be so bold and so humble, if you would allow me to say this, anything I could say to everybody here, brothers and sisters, play the man. 
play the man. This is the day. This is the hour. And if we don't build our lives upon the unchanging word of God, then who knows what gospel we are going to deliver to our children and our children's children. In the name of Jesus, play the man. Thank you so very much. So that was the speech there. And Trey, this one, not really a specific, a left-right issue that they've responded to. But, um, I mean, it clearly matters because, you know, what Cooper's touching on there is, um, you know, just this, you know, kind of, you know, lack of willingness to stand up for the gospel and um, always couching it and kind of a fear of culture uh, seems to be what he's alluding to there and people not standing firm. So he's exhorting us as Christians to uh, be courageous. I mean, obviously, we're not having heresy trials yet, but uh, when you yeah. look at the you look at the courage back, you know, and, and that was a super long story and I tried to condense it as much as I could. But it, it was it just amazing to me um, what Christians went through just and that one at the hand of. Um, you know, other Christians. So um, just amazing stuff and an exhortation there from Cooper to for us to be uh, to be courageous. Yeah, I've so I've read a good portion of Cooper's book, and he talks a lot about you know, relativism and the fact that we live in a, in a world now, there is no respect for absolute truth or an objective truth uh, that exists outside of, uh, outside of each one of us. Uh, So Christians are kind of in a, in a tough place. And he talks about how it's created a really difficult environment uh, for a lot of Christians because there isn't that mutually understood absolute truth anymore. Um, So it it is important to be courageous, but it's going to become more and more difficult. I think is the point. Uh, And that's some of what he's talking about in his book is that you're going to stick out like a sore thumb because you're, you're clearly going to be different uh, than a lot of society. And I think that's going to become more and more obvious. Uh, So I think what he was saying is, is spot on. It's that, you know, uh, obviously we don't want to be offensive to, for for offensiveness sake. Right. Right. Uh, We want to, to, the gospel is offensive because it says that you're not God, that I'm not God. Yeah. Uh, That that there is a, a plan and there's a sovereign being outside of me. Uh, I'm not fully uh, autonomous and neither are you or anybody else. Uh, that's an offensive message. Uh, but Jesus seasoned that with grace and with redemption, you know, saying, but I went to the cross for you. Uh, so, you know, we just need to, to, to operate in that and carry both of those things at the same time. Right. It, it's a, it's a offensive because it's exclusive. You can only reach it, uh, reach salvation and reach redemption through Christ. Uh, but there's so much love and grace there to, um, you know, to carry us and our sin. Um, so anyway, it's, it's a, it's a difficult balance to find, uh, but I think it's only going to become more important that we, that we stand up in a world that is more and more relative. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, uh, also interesting, too, before we I know we're running late here, we got to get into yeah. the last story, story number four. Um, but he talked he mentioned it were ill equipped. And we've talked about it, Trey, a lot about people, the number, the percentage from Barna, people who are Bible, you know, committed Christians who are regularly reading their Bible and adhere to uh, the Bible as being, you know, absolute truth, uh, God's truth. So uh, and God's word. So um, I think maybe that's kind of what he's referring to there. It'll be interesting to talk to him, um, mm-hmm. you know, soon. I don't know if you got an interview lined up with him at all for the book or if any one of the reporters at CBN do. 
I'm sure they do at some point um, to talk to him about his book if they haven't already. Um, but that uh, that is an interesting thing that he brings up there. Yeah, for sure. All right, story number four. So Apple CEO Tim Cook, uh, he's asking employees to return to the office for at least three days a week, uh, but not until September. Even still, waiting until September, some employees are, are not so happy about that. So it's, it's not sitting well with them. Uh, they're feeling that Cook is just being too inflexible uh, and even unsafe. Uh, so after uh, more than a year, uh, of remote work. Uh, Cook said not meeting together in person has left, quote, something essential missing from the company culture. A video conference calling, he said, has narrowed the distance between us to be sure, but there are things that simply can't replicate. Uh, employees would work in the office on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Thursdays and have freedom to work uh, from home or you know wherever they want to on Wednesdays uh, and Fridays. But Apple staffers are angry at Cook, like I said, for telling them to come back to the office. Uh, in a letter, they stated, uh, we would like to take the opportunity to communicate a growing concern among our colleagues that Apple's remote location flexible work policy and the communication around it have already forced some of our colleagues to quit. Without the inclusivity that flexibility brings, many of us, we ha many of us feel we have to choose between either a combination of our families, our well-being, and being empowered to do our best work or being a part of Apple. Workers said Cook's leadership has left them feeling dismissed and invalidated, arguing there are a lot of benefits of remote work and location flexible work. Uh, you know, the employees who created the letter insist that it is not a petition uh, to have Cook change his mind, but they said it may resemble one, uh, going on to call it actually a plea uh, more than anything else. Uh, so this one isn't, you know, doesn't fit perfectly, I guess, in the, the right or left uh, story, except to say that so much of the response to COVID uh, from the left has been led by fear. Uh, yeah. And I think that this is an outgrowth. I think this is, is like a, a real life example of that, uh, of that, you know, the fruit of that. Uh, or the consequences of it, I guess I should say. So, you know, there are a lot of uh, benefits to working remotely. Absolutely, Dan and I, we both work remotely and can attest to the benefits yeah. of it. Uh, there are also a lot of benefits to working in an office surrounded by your colleagues, uh, particularly when that is what Apple has always done. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you know, but it seems like Cook's response is actually pretty down the middle. Like he's giving workers a little bit of both worlds, work two days from home, uh, work three days in the office, so I'll say at the beginning, I'm a big proponent uh, of uh, of working remotely, but I I don't see anything wrong with with Tim Cook's response there, particularly since it's not you know not until September. But Dan, this is the the one thing that I thought was fascinating. Uh, so Cook said that there is something essential missing by not meeting together physically, uh, and that virtual calls. Uh, cannot replicate face-to-face -face interaction. So the first thing that I thought of when I read that was. That is exactly what churches all across America have been saying for more than a year uh, since day one, that you can't stop. I mean, Scripture talks about don't forsake meeting together, uh, but instead a lot of believers were condemned for not loving their neighbors well or for being unsafe or for being cruel to their communities, uh, for simply wanting to be in person on Sundays. So I'll say as, as much as he probably didn't intend to, 
Tim Cook has made a good argument uh, for why we need to be uh, in in church in person uh, safely on Sunday mornings. Because uh, I think he's right. Yeah. You know, in all aspects of life, something essential is missing when human beings aren't face to face with one another. You had a much more uh, salient and worthwhile thought when you were going through all that by coming up with that comparison. <laughs> My thought was, I wonder what these workers at Apple think of the uh iphone makers over there in china that are living in the iphone city uh and i'm sure because i'm sure that they're socially distanced over there you know if, if you remember the report you know they've got thousands and thousands of workers in this basically it's a mini city in china yeah. that all they do is live in this giant tower a bunch of people stuffed in a room that's an apartment and then they go to work all day and they go back to this and but it's lovely, Trey, because they've got shops right there on campus. And, um, you know, it doesn't sound like a prison or anything like that. But uh, my point is, I wonder if they're still I don't I just did a quick Google while we were while you were reading that. And I don't see anything saying that they're still shut down or not. So um, just ironic yeah. to me that these Apple workers would be very upset that they'd be dangerously forced to go to work. Yet all of their salaries come from these Chinese workers in an iPhone city churning out these iPhones that they design and whatever else these Apple employees do. So maybe that's the cynical yeah, side. Yeah, of I mean, you know, I just can't help but so they're it's based in California, the Apple headquarters, um, at least, their, you know, their corporate headquarters. So it's I cannot imagine a world in which every single employee is not going to be vaccinated. So if safety is your concern, that makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, He's not even asking Cook is not even asking people to come back until September when yeah. I think the vast majority of Americans writ large are going to be vaccinated, uh, you know, save the, the, the employees at Apple, which, like I said, I'm sure will be vaccinated. So safety should not be a concern here. And as far as flexibility, Cook's answer seems to be pretty flexible. So I don't know what they're asking for uh, there with, with, you know, this, they're this, always uh, look, petition that is not a petition. Yeah, look, they're always free to go on over and uh, work at uh, Microsoft or somewhere else without the fancy Apple logo if they yeah. really hate it so much. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. or go start your own company if you don't like the way that one's being run. That's generally how things work here, but um, maybe yeah. not for long as now it's uh, workers of the world unite, I think is the term they like to say. So, all right, that's all the time we have for today's episode of uh, 4 and 3. Uh, as always, check on uh, over at uh, cbnnews.com and faithwire.com for more news from a Christian perspective. God bless. See you tomorrow.